Can you help me out this morning? I didn't do this in the first service, but in Australia, just to make me feel at home, we have this thing, I say, Aussie, 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 and you have to say, oi, oi, oi. Okay, that's, I know it's, it's, it's different, but just to help me, just to warm us up this morning, at the back you need to be the loudest, so Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. <laughs> kind of, kind of, but in Australia, we'll be a lot more passionate about that. Okay, you need to like, you need to work hard on this one, like out of your lungs. You ready? Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. <laughs> there we go. You know, grab a seat this morning. So good to, we're so glad you're here. And uh, I just want to encourage you that we are, yeah, we are so blown away what's happening here at Fellowship Church. Some of our closest friends in the world, Pastor Sean and Diana Nepstead, their girls are amazing, all on stage this morning, worshiping God. And I tell you what, uh, a few years ago I preached uh, when you were in the community center, and I had a great experience that day, but I tell you what, uh, you had just purchased this building, and I was able to walk through this facility when it was an empty space and just saying, God, we just believe you're going to fill it with people. And to walk in here today and see it full many times over. You had the most amazing weekend last weekend for Easter. 700 plus people finding Jesus. Come on, someone needs to give Jesus a shout of praise this morning. Can I encourage you as well? Sometimes you don't even know when you're right in the middle of a miracle. It's just what you're doing. But you're in the middle of a supernatural miracle. Do not take these days for granted. Somebody was praying for these days 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. You are living in those days. You know, it's so cool because on the two occasions where, uh, you know, you were finding out about the big, the big moments for this building, we were actually with your pastors. The first time I was with Sean at Grow Conference and he'd just been given the information that Staples Centre said, yes, you can have this building. And then, uh, well, whenever it was in January, these guys are speaking at a conference for us in Australia. It was a very hot middle of summer. We were having lunch on the outdoor, uh, on the outdoor, I remember we were in Sanctuary Cove at the details, but we were living, we were, we were having a lunch, and then they got the phone call saying that you had just been approved for this building. So we feel very, very privileged to be here this morning. My beautiful wife, Ellen's here. She hasn't been here before. Why don't you stand for a second, Ellen? Give her a huge, come on. She's this beautiful girl down here. She's got the coolest hairstyle in the room. If I had hair, I would try and do that. And it's not by choice. The Lord has blessed me with this gift. I believe this morning God's uh, brought me here to bring a message to this church. Uh, the word that I feel is actually a prophetic message for this church, not pathetic, prophetic. And a, pr a prophetic message is God speaking into your future. And, and I really believe this morning, wherever you're at, that God wants to speak to you. If it's your first time at church, or maybe you came last week for Easter and you thought, oh, I like that, I'm going to come back. Can I encourage you? The greatest thing you can do is just keep coming back to church. There's so many different things you can do at this church, and, and this church is going to help you find your purpose. But beyond that, the greatest thing you can do is just keep coming to church, because when you're in this environment, you find out how God believes for you, loves you, forgives you. So many things that you just will not hear in your day-to-day -day life. And so I encourage you to keep coming back to church. We're going to get into the message this morning. We're in part two of this edit series, and I love it. What a great, great thought. I watched Pastor Sean's message, and so I'm going to go right off the back of that this morning and read to you from Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, from the message version. And so I'd love you to, if you would, uh, get your notes ready. You're going to write some, some things down. But I believe that this particular passage of Scripture, every time I read it, I feel like the author got this wrong. I feel like that when I read it, I think it's a pretty inconvenient passage of Scripture. I wish they could edit this from the Bible. Because what it has to say about 
this particular passage of scripture, I think if it was just edited the way I'd want it to be, it would not be so uncomfortable to read. I would much prefer to read this the way I would like to be comfortable, but yet God knows that I need to be uncomfortable. So we're going to read this verse this morning, and then we're going to get into the message. You ready? Let's read it. I hope you like my Australian accent. I hope that helps you this morning. I will keep a slow down. So everyone, if there's a few words I use that are a little bit different, please forgive me. Uh, I opted to not have a translator this morning, so we're just going to... Yeah, maybe if you watch the message back online, it might have subtitles at the bottom. So, It's also like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. For a moment, this is Jesus speaking, and he's, he's speaking a parable. Simply put, Jesus is trying to be relevant to people. So I'm, I'm going to tell you a story about things you're going to understand. He was speaking to a, a group of people at the time who were farmers, and they understood a business and commerce, says, I'm going to tell you a story so you can understand it, and that we can read it today, and we can say, okay, we understand the big picture of the kingdom of God, and that's what this story is, okay, so, just, so you know what's going on. To one, he gave $5,000, to another 2000 and to a third, 1000 depending on their abilities. God's given every person in this room different abilities. Then he left. Right off, the first servant went to work and doubled his master's investment. The second did the same, but the man with the single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. And after a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. To one given $5,000, showed him how he had doubled his investment. His master commended him, good work, for you've done a great job. For now on, be my partner. And the servant with 2,000 showed how he'd also doubled his master's investment and his master commanded him and said, good work, you did your job well. For now on, be my partner. Does anyone know what they're investing in? Like, that's, that's a pretty serious investment. Double up your money. That's not a bad thing. Verse 24, the servant given 1,000 said, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways, and that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. And I was afraid that I might disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place and secured your money. And here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. And the master was furious. Would you say that with me? The master was furious. Don't you think that's a bit of an overreaction? I mean, this guy just took the money and kept it safe. But the master was furious. I wish we could edit that out. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, then why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest a sum with the bankers, where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Now take that thousand and give it to the one who risked the most. And get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb and throw him into utter darkness. Father, this morning, we thank you for every person that is here. Lord, you know every person's story from the person who's here for the very first time Lord, to the person who's been coming to this church for the longest. But God, we ask this morning that you would interrupt our week. That God, you would set us up for our week. That you would speak to every person in this room. That God, we would truly understand your word this morning. That God, we would be able to apply it this week. I thank you for those going through a tough time this morning. Lord, that you are closer than anyone else. You are present in our times of trouble. And God, I thank you for those that are, Lord, stepping out in incredible favor at the moment. We just ask for your blessing over this message and heaven's kiss on every person. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. I don't know about you, 
But for the first time in December, I went on a cruise. Anyone else here been on a cruise before? Give me a wave. Maybe you went to the Bahamas. Maybe you went to Mexico. Maybe you went to Nutty Creek down the road at Walnut Creek. On a... No, you can't do that, Kenny. There's, there's no water there, but great place. It's, it's been changed, by the way. I've changed the name officially to Nutty Creek. That's the Australian version of Walnut Creek. So just turn your neighbour and say Nutty Creek. There you go. Good, good. That sounds even... It's beautiful. We went in December, we'd been saving up, and we said to our kids, we've got three kids, Taylor, Summer, and Judah, they're 11, 9, and 3, and we said, we're going to take uh, our whole family, we're going to go on a cruise uh, leading up to Christmas. And I don't know, for many of you here, you know, you said, yes, you've been on a cruise, but many of you have not been on a cruise. It's like stepping into another world when you get on board. You step on board, and you're not sure whether you're at a fancy kind of full-time buffet that you can eat anything at any time, which is pretty amazing, whether you're at like a really like tacky casino, or even in the, the cruise ship we were on, it fit two and a half thousand people in an auditorium. I mean, how does that even happen? How do you get a, an auditorium that big on a boat? It's crazy. And so we stepped out onto this cruise and we thought we're going to have a great time. And we headed out to the South Pacific. Now, just to help you with your geography this morning, because I know that we're a long way away from home this morning. So we were in a, the South Pacific and the South Pacific is made up of nations like New Zealand, uh, Fiji, Vanuatu. Anyone been to Australia before? Give me a wave. All three of you, great to have you here. It's great. You are welcome to come to Australia anytime. It's a great country. We have the 10 most deadly snakes in the world, all in Australia. We have spiders. We actually had a snake in our house a few weeks ago, but it wasn't deadly. It was a carp python, and this is part of life living in Australia. We're tough. We are tough. We, we take anything, and, but come to Australia. It's a great place to visit. Come and visit us at Glow Church. We'd love to have you. But beyond that, the South Pacific, let's just have a quick look here, just to give you an idea. So we're on the Gold Coast, which is where we live. We're in the middle of starting a church at the moment in Sydney, which is about 12 hours drive south, and that's about a one-hour flight. So a little bit like San Francisco to Sydney kind of distance, right? And then we headed out to the South Pacific, and we went to a place called Numia, and Leafu is an island there. If we get a bit closer, there's a whole ring of different islands there, and you'll see uh, there's a place called New Caledonia. And New Caledonia was actually uh, settled by the French back in the 1800s. And so everyone there speaks French, which is quite weird because everyone else speaks English in the Pacific. And you go there and you feel like you should be having a croissant and say, we, oui, and you know, it's just a different kind of d- dynamic. And so with the first day we headed out, we, uh, we went to an island. Uh, after three days at sea, we spent a day called, at the Isle of Pines. Amazing place where the water is crystal clear. Like you see those pictures, it really was like that. And then on the second day, we woke up and Ellen was excited because for the first time we were going to an island called Magnetic Island. It's like this, the, the dream place that everyone wants to go. But as we woke up, the captain on the ship, who was Italian, he said, I'm uh, very sorry to tell you this morning, but we cannot go there because of the winds and the way we would dock the boat. It's not going to work. So we've had to take a different route and we're now going to a place called Lifu. And the whole boat, like everyone was in their rooms, just went, ah, oh, like really disappointed because everyone was excited. So we all went to this place called Lifu. I'd never heard of it up until this point. Like most people in Australia have never heard of it. It's this tiny little nation with 10,000 people that live in this French-speaking part of the Pacific. And so we got off a a little boat. So you imagine a big cruise ship, and then they have lots of little boats called tenders. And you get on board, you take take a number, and then you head off to the island. So my wife and I were with my sister and her husband and their kids. And so we, we went over to the island getting ready to spend the day there. Once we got off the boat, I said to my wife and to my sister, I said, why don't, me and Pete, why don't we go and start to explore the island and we'll see what we can find. And as we were going on the boat, we actually saw this picture. Uh, you can see there, that, that is actually a church at the top of a cliff. And at the time, I remember thinking, what, what is the church doing 
at the top of a cliff in the middle of a French-speaking country that's in the middle of the Pacific that no one's ever heard of. And so as we climbed up this hill, as you can see, we got a lot closer to a fully functioning Catholic church that had a, a, had a statue of Mary on top. And during the week, it was a tourist attraction, but on a Sunday, just like us, they were having church. But that's a bit bizarre. I mean, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere on the top of an island. Imagine having a view like that every Sunday. That'd be interesting. And then we walked back down and we, we, we headed off towards another place. There was an underground cave on this island. It was 25 meters under the ground, pitch black, and had LED lights all the way around. We took our kids and we all dived off into this big, you know, this cold, fresh water that you could drink. It was amazing, right? So I know you want to go on holidays now or come visit Australia, but that was, that was the day. But as we got out of that cave, there was another church that was situated right next to us. It looked like this. It looked like a Spanish kind of building had been built there. And I wasn't thinking much. I was on holidays. And so uh, any pastor that's on a holiday takes off their pastor's hat and their Christian hat and just wants to have a holiday. I'm joking. But we, we literally went along. And on the side of this wall, and had this statement. It said, this church was built by French missionaries in 1873. And I went inside. And it would have fit about 150 people. And again, it was a fully functioning church. I became so intrigued to know how on this tiny island, two fully functioning churches that were built 100, 150 years ago were still going. I thought, well, what is the history of this country? So I went back and started doing some research. And in doing my research, I discovered that there were two French missionaries that on the same day boarded a boat in Paris. In the, so, that, so this country was colonized in 1843. But in 1857, these two men got on a boat one was a Catholic missionary, the other a Protestant missionary, and they're headed towards the other side of the planet. And let me help you with some context here, because we think, oh, what, what's so big about that? But let's think about it for a second. 150 years ago, it was a nine-month voyage from Paris to Lifu. There was no guarantee, even in that period of time, that you would survive the trip. These men would have then spent maybe a good year or two there, setting up and, and reaching people with the gospel. And then they would have gone back probably another nine months. So let's say, conservatively, it would have been a three-year round trip with no access or contact with their family at all. Wives not seeing their husbands. Kids not seeing their dads. What was it about the spirit of these two men that said, we're going to give all, we're going to sacrifice all, we're going to take what God's given us, and we're going to go to the other side of the planet for at that time, there was only 2,000 people living on the island, and we're going to go there and tell them about the message of Jesus Christ. We're going to go there and hopefully re-edit the island's history. We're going to let them know that Jesus loves them. What was it about their spirit? I became so challenged by this thought. I started thinking about it. If I had said to my wife, I'm going to America to hang out with Sean and Dana for one week. You're not coming. You can't come. And while I'm there, I'm not going to FaceTime you. I'm not going to message you. There's no contact whatsoever, no Skyping. Do you think she would have appreciated that? I probably wouldn't be married when I get back. But these men literally were sent by their families for up to three years with no income, saying, would you go? Because they had such a passion and burning desire in their heart that those 2,000 people would hear the message of Jesus. Can I put this to you this morning? What would happen at Fellowship Church if we all carried that spirit of those two men and we took all the resources and all the finances and all the buildings and technology and communication and said, we want you, God, to turn up and do something amazing? What would happen if we all carried that spirit, the person sitting next to you? We all had that sense in our heart that whatever God has given us, we want to make sure that we do something with it. At the back there, what would happen if God spoke to you? What would happen over here on the left? What would happen if God said to you, I want you to reach out, take a risk, do something? 
Tell you what would happen, this whole city of Antioch would be turned on its head, if it's not already. The other regions around here would be turned on its head. Because when people get on fire for Jesus, my goodness, what could happen? What could happen? We see in this story that I just read from Matthew, Jesus speaking, he shares about the master, so he gives one instruction and we see two responses. I think they're very common of probably the responses we'd see in this room this morning. You don't need to kind of dob on your neighbour and say that that would be that one. But for you this morning, think about this. Jesus says, the master says, I've got all this money, and he gives them an instruction, and there's two responses. The first response is this. I'm going to take what I've been given and multiply it. The second response was from Captain Conservative. So I'm just going to hold it. I'm going to hide it. I'm going to manage it. I'm not going to lose it. I'm just not going to do anything with it. And I think this morning, the reason that that second person thought that way is that he had brought into a belief system that many of us have brought into. I believe this morning that God wants to re-edit some of our thinking. Here's the thing. If we said, what is a faithful person, whether they came to church or not, we would say comments like this. Well, they come on time to work. They're very reliable. If you're talking about church, they come to every service each week. They sit in the same seat. Hey, they faithfully give and they serve. Many people in this room would say that person sitting next to you, that they're a faithful person. And so we buy into this concept that being faithful is turning up and being a good person. But I want to put to you this morning, that simply is just having good character. That is not the biblical definition of faithfulness. Biblical faithfulness we see in this story is this. Being faithful is not about showing up. It's about increasing and expanding what you have been given. I say again, being faithful is not about showing up. It's about increasing and expanding what you have been given. Isn't that a challenging thought? That the things that God has given you, he wants you to bring increase to. You know, in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, we actually see a picture. As God speaks about how he has created us all uniquely and with his craftsmanship. In the Greek, it's actually a picture of like a sculptor. And that God, before you were born, sculpted in you the person you were going to be, the personality traits in you, the gifts that God was going to put, the, the grace gifts which would come naturally to you. Every person was uniquely made. Every person, the person sitting next to you, front, back, left, God handmade you. He put things in you. And it's your job to find out what they were and then increase those things in your life. The great news is here at Fellowship Church, is that, I love it, it's the heart's desire of the pastors here and the team to help you discover the purpose that God has for you. The growth track is an amazing way because in part three, you get to do a, a kind of a whole bunch of tests where it shows you the grace gifts that God has given you. And if you just focus on those gifts and let God grow those in you, you would be a faithful person because God will start to bring increase in your life. Aren't you thankful you're in a church that you can actually know your grace gifts? Many places you would never know that. In this story, we see... Two descriptions about these two types of people. Good and faithful and wicked and lazy. See, good and wicked speaks of our heart motive. You know, someone's got a good motive. They're a good person. Or someone's wicked. They're a sinner. They're all words that... It's a word we don't tend to like. You, know, you don't walk around saying, hey, you're a wicked person. As you walk into the Walmart, you're a wicked... You just don't do that, right? But that's a description of someone's heart that hasn't found Jesus. And then faithful and lazy speaks about these things, our hands, what we do with our things, the things that God's given us. Did you know it's possible that you can be a Christian and be good and lazy? 
You've got lots of good motives. You've got lots of good ambitions and reasons to do things, but you're lazy. You're not taking what goes But You say, Joel, but I run a connect group. Has it grown? But Joel, I give each week, but have you stepped down in faith? But Joel, I come to church every week. That's great, but what are you doing to serve others? Because it's easy to be good and lazy. And at the same time, do you know it's possible that someone can be wicked and faithful? They can have the wrong motives. They haven't yet found God's purpose for their life. But there are many people in this city right here that are extremely faithful with what they've been given. They know how to grow their business. They know how to be influential with people. But you know what would happen if they came into contact with their purpose and all of a sudden their, their story became good and faithful? I'll tell you what would happen. Their whole story would be rewritten. And there are people right through this city waiting for you to turn up with the message of Jesus so that they could be counted as good and faithful. Faithful is not just turning up. Faithful is growing. Let me give you some examples this morning, just to help you. Let's say your manager is going away. And at your workplace, they would average each week 20 sales of whatever it might be. Let's say it's photocopy machines. Let's say it's a, you know, basketball jerseys. Whatever it is, okay? There's 20 sales. In my thinking, and in a lot of people's thinking, if I was being faithful, you would think that while they're away for six weeks, that that manager would come back and expect that there were still 20 sales happening each week. That would be faithful. Would that not be faithful? No, it wouldn't be. I'll tell you why. Because faithfulness from a biblical point of view says, while I'm away, while the manager's away, I'm going to believe for that each week we could do 30 sales or maybe 40 sales because I want to take what I've been given and bring increase to it. That's what it looks like. How about small group leaders here? Let's say for this next term, somebody had to hand it over to you. Maybe they've been sick or they've gone on a holiday and you had eight people in your small group. And by the way, can I encourage you, the greatest thing you can do is get yourself in a small group. That's where healing happens. That's where life change happens. That's where your story gets re-edited. Get into a small group. One of the greatest things you'll ever do. But let's say there was eight people in that small group and you were entrusted with that leadership. If the person came back, many people would say, and there was eight left, you would say, good job. That was, you did a good job. You took care of the connect group or the small group. But someone that has this revelation of faithfulness that, that particular leader would return with 12 people now in the connect group because four new people joined that small group because they said, I understand that whatever I've been given, I want to bring increase to. I want to bring increase to. Why would we want to bring increase? Why would we want to take those things that God's given us? Why in this story was the master so harsh on the man who just kind of held back? Because it's pretty full on when he says he's furious. He was angry. He said, throw them into utter darkness. I'll tell you why. Hear this this morning, because this is very important. The reason the master was angry was because that talent, that gift, was not for that man. It was for what, what it would do in other people's lives. The gift that God has given you, the gift that God has deposited in you, is not for you, but it's for others. It's for your neighbours. It's for your friends. It's for your family members. If you would just let that gift come out, then Jesus would start to be lifted up. And you know what starts to happen? Stories start to be changed. They start to be edited, because you... We're faithful. Personally, in our own lives, we've always found that it's those times that we've got uncomfortable and that we've decided to make decisions that we're not comfortable, that required us to sacrifice. Without people sacrificing this church, you wouldn't be sitting in this facility today. Maybe you've started coming in the last few months because somebody else many years ago was setting up and tearing down just down the road there. And they started giving and believing over and above so that you one day could sit in this church building because they said, I'm choosing to be uncomfortable. You're sitting in somebody else's faithfulness. 
I want you to write this down this morning because honestly, I believe this with all my heart. What if your willingness to be uncomfortable led to someone else's eternal comfort? What if your willingness to be uncomfortable led to somebody else's eternal comfort? I mean, this service is pretty full right now, but what would it look like if next week we couldn't all fit in here? People saying, you know what? I'm happy to go sit out in the foyer so that somebody who needs to hear the message can sit inside. What would it look like if all of a sudden we found that there was too many people trying to get into church every week? Can I encourage you that you're just getting started? This church, you might say, well, we had 8,700 people. You know what? That's just the start. What would happen in maybe two years from now if 20,000 people came at Easter? You said, but hang on. That means I can't park in the car park. It means that I won't look at my seat that I sit in every week. You know what starts to happen? Because God operates in uncomfortable situations. It changes us. It shapes us. What if you were heading down to Nutty Creek or Walnut Creek and you said, you just felt God speak to you say, I want you to pay for that person's meal. And your generosity that was uncomfortable because that was for something else led to somebody else going, I want to know why would someone do that? Why would someone want to serve me on a Sunday? Why would someone turn up here at 6 a.m. and be ready with, with part of the creative team? Why, why, why? Because they carry the same spirit of those two missionaries back in the 1850s. They would get on a boat and go to the other side of the world just to let people know that Jesus loves them. Bryant McGill says this, whatever makes you uncomfortable is your biggest opportunity for growth. Think about that. What has been making you uncomfortable? Has it been spending extra time reading your Bible because you never used to? But that time that you've allocated is starting to grow you. Maybe in your business right now, maybe there's been uncomfortable situations that's forced you to have to lead beyond your, what you thought you were capable of. Maybe your small group's grown so quickly and you're like, ah, you know what, what a great opportunity to grow. A few years ago, probably 10 years ago, I had a very uncomfortable situation. Has anyone here ever sent a text message to a person, having a go at that person, but sent it to that person accidentally? You, you meant to send it to someone else? and you send it to the person that you were writing about. Anyone ever done that before? <laughs> Anyone wish you could edit that and wish it never happened? You sort of, sort of suck it back and go, come back. Well, I sent a message. I had been part of a church where we had just merged with another church, and so we inherited the staff of this church and uh, great people. But their culture was very different, and I was getting very frustrated with this one individual that I was the campus pastor of. And so I, I just kind of, in all my frustration, just decided to send a message to a friend of mine that was the business manager about what I thought about this particular individual and his work ethic and the culture of that he had brought. Now, I stand before you this morning, and yes, I'm a sinner. <laughs> I'm a bad man. I have a wicked heart. And I sent that message, thinking I was sending it to my friend Jeremy, and I sent it to that particular man. I didn't realise I sent it to him. I just thought five minutes later when I had his phone, I looked down at him, he was calling me, I thought, that's odd, that's a funny, that's a funny circumstance. Hello? This is what I heard. You're dead. I'm telling you, you're dead. You cannot do that. You, and I'm like, oh no. Look, I knew straight away. My heart sank. And I had that moment, I had an opportunity in my uncomfortable text message to take ownership for it. And I said, look, I'm really sorry. I said, would you come in? Let's talk about this. And so he came and sat with me. He, was, he didn't want to talk to me. He was angry. And I said, look, I'm really sorry. I said, what I said was true. I said, I'm really frustrated. Probably the, the, the way it came to you was not a good thing. I, I, I take ownership of that. Yes, I'm a sinner. You know, but 
I was able to sit with him and talk it through. I said, this is why I'm frustrated. I said, I'm really sorry that I should have done it, but I'm sorry, but this is what's happened. You know, all these years later, I'm still really good friends with that guy now because we were willing to work it out in uncomfortable situations. You will grow when you get into uncomfortable situations. Don't just get comfortable. Why is God trying to push you out of your comfort zone? Some of you here put commas in your life and God say, I didn't put that there. Some of you said, I'll never do that anymore and put a full stop and God say, hang on, I'm not writing that. I want you to go back and edit it. You need to use your gift again. It's not okay that you would stop because that's not what God has for your life. We need to remember that God has got a plan to use every person's giftings for his glory. I want to read from 2 Corinthians this morning. Chapter 5, this is a verse the Apostle Paul, Pastor Shaw, was preaching about last week. He kind of sends us a, a message. If you can imagine he's writing to us 2,000 years later saying, hey, guys, don't forget why Jesus changed you. Don't forget your purpose. And he writes this to us and says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we were once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, which means bringing us to, to him. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. Can we stop for a second? Who's thankful that God does not count our sins against us? That when Jesus died, he paid the price, as we heard about at Easter last week, as he edited our stories, that we, they're not counted against us. They've forgotten. They're no longer. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. In other words, we're his representative here on earth. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You are Christ's representative. The very nature of what God's put on the inside of you. You are that example in your workplace. Isn't that scary? When you're getting in that Uber, you are his representative. That's scary. When you get upset at dinner time with a waiter or waitress, you are his representative. When you start thinking of it like that way, it gets a bit scary. But when we actually realize and we say, I'm going to make a choice, that I'm going to live a life that says, even if I have to be uncomfortable, even if I find myself in situations where I don't feel like, like it's out of my comfort zone, but God, if you could use me somehow with the gifts you've given me, then I say yes. Like these two men on the other side of the world, these missionaries saying, God, we're going to go to a place that no one has ever been to before. We're going to go, I've never met these people, but God, I, I, would you take what I have and God, would you use it? You know, Wikipedia, that's the only place you can really find much about the island of Lifu, says all these years later, that the island of Lifu is now a distinctly Christian nation. Because two men got on a boat and said that we will go to the other side of the planet. They have operating churches still to this day because two men said yes to being uncomfortable. You might be like, John, what? Okay, I'm his representative, but what does that mean? Well, you need to understand how God thinks. You need to understand what access you have when it comes to God. 
There was an American golfer, only a few years ago, PGA golfer here in America, who got a phone call from the Prince of Saudi Arabia. and said, would, would you come and fly over to Riyadh, the capital of Saudi Arabia, would you spend a few days on the golf course with me, giving me some tips on how I could play better? And this golfer thought, what a great opportunity. You, you don't often get to hang out with royalty. So he got on the plane, he went over and spent a few days just working on this particular prince's golf game, just worked on his putting game, worked on his chipping game, worked on his driving. He gave him all the attention he could, and at the end of the three days, the prince looked at this golfer and said, thank you so much, my game has grown so quickly. You have helped me so much. Is there anything that I can buy for you, anything I can do for you just to say thank you? Because the investment you've made in me, it means I can now play better golf. And this golfer was thinking to himself, yeah, I wouldn't mind like a new golf club. He's thinking maybe I might want to get a new, a new putter, maybe a new driver. That new driver had just come out that was the top of the line, kind of like titleless driver. So he thought, he just tried to turn to the prince and said, look, I wouldn't mind a new golf club. That'd be awesome. Just so, you know, I just you know, respect him. And, and the prince looked at him and just said, okay. He got back on his plane, went back here to America. And he didn't hear anything for a few months until a little while later, he got in the, in the letter, uh, in the mail, he got a letter, a certified piece of mail. They had the royal stamp of Saudi Arabia. And so he opened up this letter, and on the inside, it said, Dear so and so, sorry for the delay. It's taken me a while, but please find attached the deeds to your brand new golf club. He had gone and brought this golfer an 18 hole golf course with a clubhouse and everything else to go with it. You know why? Because he thought like a king. He didn't think like the golfer. The golfer's thinking, I just want to get a putter or a driver. And he just started to think like royalty would think. I want you to hear this morning, you serve the king of kings. He doesn't think the same way that you think. He has access to things you do not have access to. He has unlimited resources. When people are choosing to get uncomfortable for Jesus, you know what starts to happen? He turns up in that situation. The finances start to come through. Look at this miracle you're standing in when people choose to get uncomfortable for God. I want to encourage you, Fellowship Church, don't get comfortable. Because we need more people to find Jesus. We need more people to stand up and rise up and say, God, you can use me as your ambassador. You are the one who's going to change lives because the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, He thinks like royalty.